0: Audio Conversation with Chris Augustine, recorded Friday, October 20th, 2012. I stumbled on Chris through a, uh, a YouTube video where he gives a presentation, I think about a year ago, uh, for the Philadelphia MUFON group. The, the reason I was impressed by this video was just, Chris had a really strong presence where he was very, uh, matter of fact at the same time very earnest and uh and 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 I sensed uh, that he was very open minded he talked about his own experiences uh which were well on one sense very typical of what would be the ufo abduction phenomena and at the same time he was very clear and and made sure to include some of the outlying information some of the very strange stuff that seems to intersect the lives of people who who have the first-hand contact experience. And it was because of that video that I sought him out for this audio interview. Here's he some things about Chris. He's young. He, most of the people involved in this kind of research, um, sad to say, are kind of doddering, gray-haired geezers. Um, I feel like I'm getting close to that, that title. But he's uh, just turned, uh, th- I think, 31, and, and he started his... Research. I mean, actively researching the paranormal when he was only 15 years old and still in high school, which I find uh, fascinating and at the same time rather telling. Uh, Chris keeps a website where he's been logging and documenting his research as well as the information he's collected called Aliens the Truth, and that's AliensTheTruth.com, and it is linked in the show notes below. So, So I, so I have a little story here about how I you know, literally uh, realized I had to connect with this guy and do an audio interview. Uh, Partially it was just the the tone of that video, but there's a little more. Um, I initially watched that video uh, in September of this year it was on the night of september 8th and the way i found the video was that i was looking through some photos from a recent ufo conference in maine i knew a handful of people who were presenting there and uh... i was a little bit envious i would have liked to have gone there it was called experiencers speak And it was a one-day conference held in um, Gorham, Maine, a little small town outside of Portland. So uh, anyway, typical of Facebook, there's uh, photos, and people had been posting images. And um, I I noticed his face on these photos, a guy I'd never seen before. And uh, uh, the comments on these photos were really complimentary to the guy, basically saying, you know, like, ooh, this guy has a nice approach to the subject. So just a few clicks away, I found his site, a few more clicks i found this video and i sat and watched this video and um as i was watching the video uh, i realized like wow i should i should facebook friend this guy so i paused the video i went to facebook went to friend him and then looked at the uh, sidebar on on facebook and realized i had a friend request that had come in from chris augustine so so this happened while I was watching the video. It would not have happened while I was searching Facebook and looking at the photographs because I would have seen it. So in the few minutes it took me to find his website, find his video, while I was looking at his image on the screen, thinking, hey, I should Facebook this guy, he Facebooked me. And and during our first email exchange, when I was asking him to do the interview, one of the questions I asked was, did you Facebook friend request me because of some reason and then he said no it was just that uh, I shared some personal friends with people he had met at the conference and he just out of the blue uh, sent me a Facebook friend request now to me this this there's a couple things going on here one it's a feels like a very real profound synchronicity and at the same time there is a weird Resonance, a weird vibe with, with Facebook and the UFO uh, research community, specifically the folks who are involved in the abduction phenomena. I, I, I cannot state this strongly enough. I have had some weird, resonant experiences through Facebook. But anyway, enough about that. Uh, Chris is extremely articulate, he gets his point across quite well. Uh, him and I have a certain kinship in some of the experiences and some of our reactions. Uh, which we talk about during this interview. The interview is just a little bit shy of two hours, and I'm uh, and I'm really impressed with this guy, really. So uh, you know, hopefully that sh- that shines through, and you you get the same sense I did. Please enjoy. Hey Chris, um, I just want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. I really appreciate
1: the opportunity. Thanks for uh, asking.
0: So I initially uh, saw your. Um, a video of you speaking at a conference and I'll and I'll post that uh, as part of the show notes here and that video I think was in a Mufon uh, s- uh meeting in in uh, Philadelphia and you were doing a presentation it was probably about an hour long close to an hour long
1: That's right it was uh, last October actually it was the Pennsylvania Mufon U- uh UFO conference I think it was the 4th annual conference that they've held uh been in different areas around Philadelphia this I think was in Bucks County and they had a just a large collection of speakers, and it was my first opportunity presenting on my experiences to uh, you know, such a large audience. I think we had in total about 400 people uh, there over a two-day event. So it was a very, very uh, good event. Very, uh, you know, a lot of information that was shared, and obviously it gave me uh, one a really big opportunity to just share what I've experienced.
0: Great, and and uh, now just a few things before we get rolling into this. Uh, you. Uh, are quite uh, unusual in this field uh, simply because you're, you don't have any gray hair. You know, you're not, uh, you're not as. You must feel very young. I suspect in some of the circles you uh, find yourself in, like at uh, MUFON meetings and such.
1: Well, I think that's a very interesting point. I did make that. did. Uh... Uh, noticed that when I presented at another conference recently that was up in Maine, uh, out of the different investigators and the people who had experiences, I'm almost always the youngest uh, presenter or, or attendee at the meetings. I find it quite interesting. Uh, and that's not saying that there aren't people in the audience who are very much interested and may have shared their own, but from a research standpoint, from an investigative standpoint, I'm typically one of the younger uh, members in the group, absolutely. Yes.
0: Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, and you're 29, is that correct? No, I am 31. Oh, 31, okay.
1: 32 in December, so almost there.
0: Great. Um, so, you run a website in, uh, where partially you share your own experiences and partially it's just a sort of a storage house for uh, research you've done and as well as links to other research. Can you just talk a little bit about your, your site?
1: Uh, Thank you. Uh, My site is aliensoftruth.com. I've been running the site since probably the mid to late 90s. I think 96, 97 is when I really started. Uh, It was initially a hobby. I had been doing a lot of work. Uh, I was really getting into, like, ghost hunting, and I found that subject to be very interesting. I was also historically interested in UFOs, but I never put much time into investigating it. Um, Then I... Just started going through different periods in my life. I changed religion. I changed uh, a lot of the aspects of my belief structure. And I found a lot of parallels, at least what I thought were parallels, in a lot of the uh, scriptures around the world. And almost all of these religions were talking about receiving messages from beings that descended from heaven, you know, divine inspiration, etc. And the way I read it, I said every one of these could either be talking about independent experiences or they very well could have been influenced by some type of extraterrestrial visiting us some time ago. Now, I don't 100% agree with the ancient aliens theories, you know, the coming here mining gold and all that stuff, but it was enough uh, that it really fueled the fire and made me get into investigating the field. And that's when I found the sheer number of sightings around the world. I started reading about the famous cases, you know, like Betty and Barney Hill, the Roswell crash, uh, everything through Phoenix Lights in Arizona. And I started to collect everything more for my own benefit, just to, you know, have all this information. I would write my opinion of the sighting, give people the basic details, and then what I felt it represented. And you're absolutely right. From there, I also started to put my own experiences online. And what was interesting is as I would investigate these things, I would like slightly get either disinterested or I would lose focus and I would have something happen to me. I would either have a sighting of a triangular object in 99 or a missing time event. I would have something that would happen that would literally push me right back into the field. And I was then propelled to investigate, you know, even more. Uh, But my site is online for a couple of reasons, and one is to share the information out there, some of the most famous cases. Um, Second, to really share my own experiences and to just let people know that I'm not just, you know, a hardcore believer, a hardcore skeptic. It's like I'm an open-minded skeptic. I roll out conventional explanations first. But then I have my own experiences to go off of, and I know when people are, pretty much know, when people are being genuine and are telling about a real experience. And then the third is really just an avenue for people to share their own experiences. I've had contacts, uh, excuse me, abductees come to me for years now sharing their stories, some of which they never want to have posted online. They just want someone to talk to who understands what they're going through. to relate to, really, just to, you know, this is happening to me. I have no support system. Where do I go? What do I do? What do I make of this information? And that's what a lot of the website is online for, so people can have that avenue to discuss it, to read about it, to really be open about it and not be
0: ridiculed. Oh, that's very interesting. Since starting my site, which I started in uh, 2009, I have been uh, receiving a lot of uh, comments, letters, people reaching out to me, uh, you know, under you know, with very similar, I guess, sort of needs, where where they they don't have an avenue to uh, to discuss this, and they feel very isolated, or at the same time they feel very confused, where their their experiences may not have completely uh, uh, fleshed out to the point where they can where they can see it as, let's say, UFO abduction. It might be presenting itself as something entirely strange, just because. You know, their, You know, the ability. Oh, the ability of, let's say, the abductors to, uh, to manufacture imagery in one's mind, and then as well as to erase, you know, certain parts of events, but, but not in their entirety. It, it, I've, you know, the the confusion that that shows up in this phenomena is is, uh, you know, makes it very murky when you when you try to tread into the waters and try to make sense of what may or may not be going on. No, oh,
1: absolutely. I think one of the biggest areas is, uh, I mean, you touched on it perfectly, the perception or the reality in people's minds. I know a lot of people don't have a frame of reference for these types of experiences, like when Betty and Barney Hill experienced what they did, they had never been interested in anything science fiction related. They had no idea what a typical quote unquote gray looked like. They had no knowledge of the field. However, they described what people are still describing today. A lot of people try to dismiss their claims as being science fiction fueled, but they had absolutely no interest in it. They were never exposed to it. They simply had no involvement, and yet they experienced these things and, you know, went through very traumatic experiences, reliving the memories, both through dreams and hypnosis. The other point that I'd like to address is, as you said, the the support system, people not knowing where to go, um, you know, really being confused. I think it... A person's upbringing can very well frame how they view their experiences. If you had a very religious upbringing, you could perceive these nightly encounters as being angels or demons or you know, just strange figures you know, sent by the devil. And you might be afraid and start to pray to get them to stop. Another person may have no religious upbringing. They could be an atheist and have absolutely no way to process the information. And their subconscious mind could block it out completely. Uh, and then someone who is more maybe spiritually motivated, not really following a religion, could see these beings for what they are and actually perceive small gray beings with almond-shaped eyes. So I think your own worldview, your own upbringing, and your own just you know view of the universe, you know, your realities, what you make of it, can truly set up how you perceive these encounters that are happening all over the world and your opinion of them. And that can also fuel whether or not you are afraid of these encounters.
0: Yes, and, I, and presently we live in a scientific world, a materialistic world. And, you know, one of the things that I recognize that we are doing, we collectively, like as we try to make sense of this, the overall phenomena, is we are seeing these entities as basically as us, where they are showing up here uh the same way we would show up uh, on a helicopter in Yellowstone National Park uh you know the scientists go into the park and and uh, dart the bears and drug them and do scientific research on the bears and then release the bears uh and so so we actually have a framework in which to wrap our minds around these things but the in uh, you know the, so these these metal spaceships you know contain little scientists who are here Collecting data, or perhaps you know, have some agenda, some scientific program that they're that they're following through with. Um, now, I just want to be, and I and I am very aware that's the you know that's the the overriding hypothesis. Uh, I'm very aware that that what we are doing is anthropomorphizing. We are seeing them as an extension of us. You know, perhaps just a further down the timeline. You know, more advanced than us. Uh, more advanced technology, uh, more scientific demeanor. uh, But I am also very aware that that may not be the answer in its entirety, uh, just because there is so much theater and deception that that seems to show up in the overall phenomena.
1: I'd say that's a very first statement. I think um, everything isn't just nuts and bolts. And a lot of the descriptions of these objects and, you know, People who have had close encounters, reports of them actually touching the craft. There are some very organic properties of these objects, like the Reynolds from Forest case and several others, where people have described the, the ship as being like a living being in itself. that it almost seemed conscious, or it had its own consciousness outside of the occupants. Uh, so I definitely think that it is a little more than just nuts and bolts type. You know, it's not just a metal craft with a typical propulsion system. There's something else going on. Uh, witness testimony can really speak to that when people can see a craft off in a distance and you know perceive it while the person right next to them cannot. Uh, so there's some type of psychological connection, some telepathic connection between the occupants and the witnesses that can identify who they want to be seen by and who they don't. And so I don't necessarily believe that it's any type of negative agenda or you know they're here to take over the world anything like that i just think that whatever their motives and agenda is we probably cannot comprehend it it's beyond our brain's ability to understand and that very well could be making these beings out to be gods or whatever but i just think it's you know it's something is beyond our comprehension and it's not a big deal it doesn't mean that it's negative or something to be fearful at least that's my approach
0: yes in yeah i i i try to be very uh, agnostic uh, about the overall events just because as soon as you throw in the uh oh the the drama of of you know a fear based agenda you know or or let's say a fear based reaction on our part of to their agenda um you know then then it becomes very difficult to proceed forward without you know just getting all rattled up hey you you um, in your audio excuse me in your video that you um from the f- conference in Pennsylvania. You spoke about an event th- that had to do with uh, listening to the Queen of the Damned soundtrack.
1: Can yes.
0: You, can you just share that event?
1: Well, sure. Uh, it was 2002. Uh, I believe it was in February. And, you know, Pardon me if I don't remember the exact dates, but I was leaving my girlfriend's house at the time. It was in southern New Jersey. And I was driving home. I still lived with my parents at the time. And I had come up to a left-hand... Uh, turn lane and it had one of the arrow lights where I had to wait, you know, wait for the arrow to turn green. As the arrow was about to turn green, the Queen of Damn soundtrack was on in my car, uh, on CD. And it was track 10, one of my favorite songs on the album. And the light turned green. The song had just started. I was starting to execute my turn, maybe going, you know, 5-10 miles an hour. Uh, literally the next instant, the song was over. I was still executing the turn. I felt like I had just like come out of a daze, come awake, something just literally snapped back into reality. And the truck that was behind me was now a couple hundred feet in front of me. And I was still driving, still executing the turn. I was going the exact same speed I was before. But the song, which is 3 minutes and 40 seconds long, had completed. Uh, so. You know, initially, I was very much afraid. I was just concerned. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, I was anxious. I was nervous. I was shaking. Uh, later came back and, you know, revisited the, my memories about it. And what I identified was if three minutes and 40 seconds had taken place outside of my car, that truck that was behind me should have been long gone. It should have been nowhere within my, you know, my vision. It should have been, you know, driven away. And it was only a couple hundred feet in front of me.
0: And this, so, so let me just, in, so this is a truck that you definitely remember seeing behind oh, you in the traffic lane.
1: Yep, absolutely. It was like an old 70s type pickup. It had the large metal bracket, uh, mirrors on the sides. I don't remember anything about the driver, but I knew it was an older model truck. And literally behind me at the light, next instant I snap back into reality. Song was over. That truck's now in front of me. So I tried to follow it back. I drove through a couple housing developments on the way back to my parents' house, and I was not able to locate where the person lived or, you know, or anything. I lost them in a the development.
0: But, oh, so you were trying to? You actually tried to follow the truck just specifically to ask them, like, hey, what happened?
1: Exactly. I, I figured, you know, right then and there, I tried to, you know, act as quick on my feet as possible. And I was thinking, you know, like maybe, you know, just playing devil's advocate. Maybe I did fall asleep. Maybe, you know, I, you know, I had a momentary loss of consciousness or something. You know, and if I asked them, hey, did you notice if I slumped over or whatever, I was gonna, you know, try to stop them, find them, ask them questions. But like I said, I could not find uh, the truck or the driver, so I was not able to ask them any
0: questions. So you did actually follow it for a little while.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Huh? Now, did they? Here's just a like. Could you sense? Like, did you? I mean, whatever. Like, I mean, I just think if if I recognize someone was following me uh I, you know, even if I didn't notice anything unusual, I may have had, like, an odd reaction, like, huh, I'm getting out of here. If I was a driver and someone was following me, did you recognize any sort of, like, a reaction like that in their driving or anything?
1: No, I mean, everything seemed perfectly normal. I had absolutely no strange feelings before uh during, you know, when I noticed the truck or anything. It wasn't until afterwards when I fell out of place, but nothing about that vehicle or its driving pattern seemed out of the ordinary.
0: Okay, okay. Um, and was there any any sort of uh, follow up to this event?
1: The uh, it was an interesting period of time between then and May. Uh, I was having a lot of weird, uh, just general, what you call it, like psychic type events, where I would have a, many things, like I would have a dream that would foretell something, you know, in my everyday life a couple days later that would happen. I would have a lot of uh, issues with electronic devices. I was walking in front of televisions and radios causing interference. I would know who was calling on the telephone before the phone even rang. I just had a lot of weird things over a period of weeks between this, uh, that and May. Uh, what happened in May, I woke up from perfectly normal you know, night's sleep from what I thought, and I had a triangular-shaped bruise on my leg. And it was in the lower Uh, It was the inside of my lower left leg, a couple inches above my ankle. And I immediately thought that I had banked my leg, you know, in my bedroom. You know, I had maybe gotten up in the middle of the night, going to the bathroom or something, and bumped into something in my room. But I couldn't find anything that was triangular shaped. So being, you know, the investigator that I was, I was able to take pictures of it, and I felt around in my leg. It didn't feel like I had any pain or anything. So I really just dismissed it, and, and, you know, I just went on with my everyday life. About seven, eight days later, the bruise, which had been there the entire time, was literally gone. It was there one day, gone the next. Uh, In place of the bruise, however, was a lot of what looked like puncture wounds. There was a lot of, like, uh, like irritation on the skin, like red marks, and looked like little puncture wounds. Four of them were in a straight line. Once again, I, you know, I'm like feeling around in the area. Now it actually felt like something might be beneath the skin. and it didn't hurt at all, but it felt like there was something you know, just out of place. Uh, once again, I took pictures, and uh, I just you know kept on with my life after that. Uh, if, I can't remember when I had contacted the podiatrist to take a look at it, uh, but I had reached out to a podiatrist that I had become friendly with. Uh, he and I had both gone to Area 51 within a week of each other. He actually captured on film a diamond shaped object being escorted back to area 51 by air force fighter jets
0: oh here so this is um the podiatrist that i had an interest in in ufos this is interesting because i know dr roger lear is a podiatrist and and is doing active research into ufos i think that's that's just a curious little uh, uh just the fact that they're both podiatrists is funny
1: yeah, he, um, he has been interested in the field for some time, and he was out on vacation with his wife traveling, uh, you know, I guess, from Vegas, you know, just like I was. And they made a road trip up to the base one day, and you know, as they were up there taking pictures of the extraterrestrial highway sign, uh, they witnessed this object. They, they heard the jets, uh, then they saw this diamond-shaped craft moving across the sky, Uh, They were not able to get a photograph of both the jets and the object together due to the speed, but they were able to get them separately. But they witnessed it, and also another passerby who I believe was taking pictures of the sign as well. So he, I think, had found my website and uh, saw my pictures from Area 51 when I went. It was in 2001. Uh, The military sent a chopper out to circle me a few times and everything to, like, scare me off when I got too close to the border. Um... So then, you know, he and I had spoken, and at that point, obviously, nothing else had happened uh, short of um, my UFO sighting in 99. But, you know, I reached out to him. I talked to him about what was going on, the bruising, the puncture wounds, and he said, you know, just drive up to my office. They're based in, like, New Jersey, close to New York City, and, you know, I'll take a look at it for you. So I went up in May, drove however long it took to get there, and he did ultrasounds on it. And when he looked at the ultrasounds, his first question was, when did I have surgery on my leg? I said, never, why? He's like, well, I've never really seen anything like this where a tendon is cut, a piece has been removed, and an optic is sitting underneath that period. Obviously, you know, that the hell out of me. I'm like, well, okay, that can't be. It's, like, it's- I've never had anything but my wisdom teeth removed. I've never been under for anything else. And you know, he starts asking me questions like, "Well, do you work with fireworks? Do you work with any type of explosives? You know, you could have been hit with shrapnel, anything like that." Like, nope, absolutely not, nothing like that. You know, in my life at all. And you know, he he was purely dumbfounded. He was he was just uh, taken aback. He had never seen anything like it. And He said the reason he was so shocked was because there was no inflammation or irritation in the area. My body was not attacking this object. Uh, there was no scar tissue. Uh, my white blood cells were not attacking it like a foreign object or anything, it was just sitting. It. And he said, that's not possible. Even our most advanced surgical lasers can't do that, yet that's exactly what my body is doing. It's completely ignoring this object, whatever it is. And he had taken, like I think, well over a dozen scans Uh, and gave them to me as well. So, you know, I bring that proof with me, you know, when I go to conferences, you know, to share with people. It was a very interesting event.
0: This is fascinating. Here, just I'm going to back up just a little bit. When did you start investigating these things?
1: I've been doing this, like, uh, I think, pretty much since the mid-'90s. I was always interested in science fiction and the paranormal, but it was all just for entertainment values. Uh, it wasn't until the mid early mid 90s when I actually started to investigate it. And, you know, I would go to a local library. I would, you know, read as many books as I could. I would find any and all documentaries on it. And I, the website itself didn't really take off, I think, until 97 or 98. And at that time, it was much more of a hobby.
0: So, how old were you in the mid 90s?
1: Um, so, 96, I would have been 15.
0: Fifteen? Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's what I was getting at. It's like, So you started very young, obviously. that's So, I mean, it, just as far as, uh, how to say it, you know, in the big picture, in the grand, uh, you know, sort of making sense of your experiences, that, to me, is very telling that you were starting at about 15 years old, um, you know, investigating, actively investigating this stuff.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, a lot of what I did, like I said, was it was much more of a hobby approach at first I got into just documenting as much as I could. I didn't have the resources, obviously, to be uh, an investigator with MUFON. I was still in school. I couldn't go out and you know, do these investigations with them. You know, I you know, work with witnesses, et cetera, but I did it, almost everything online. I started having, you know, just a multitude of conversations. I was on chat almost every night talking to different people all around the country and the world. I made a lot of friends. I made a lot of contacts uh, during that time. People who were former military, people who were active military, uh, various departments within the government, including like NASA, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, former Delta Force members. I mean, I had a very hodgepodge collection of resources. And, you know, what they were telling me was all the more fueling that fire that I had to investigate. I mentioned the Area 51 for many reasons. Uh, one, because when I was out there, I did cross the border. I did it out of camera range and out of uh, the eyesight of the guards you know who are they're not air force personnel, they're contracted security for, uh, forces or a contracted security firm.
0: Oh here, they, let me just interrupt that so so you do tell that story uh, during the video, yeah. and there is some some uh, uh you have some some video tape that you took during the event that I think plays without any audio uh, during that that one presentation you gave.
1: Yeah, uh, they were having some problems with the audiovisual at the conference itself, but the the video itself uh, that's on my site is about ten minutes long, and it actually catalogs my entire trip from Vegas out to the border, uh, to the base. Excuse me, when uh, I had the chopper dive into the valley and you know come uh, circle me a few times, and then return to the base. Um, The bus that drives by every day that takes the civilian contractors to and from work. I got that on video. So I had a, it was a 10-minute video. Obviously, I didn't show the entire thing. But you know, just to put it into context, if you're not familiar with the base, it's about 140 miles north of Las Vegas, in the middle of the desert. They used to test the nuclear weapons out there, so there's a lot of areas that are contaminated. Um, but the base itself, if you drive down the ET Highway, Highway 375, you'll come upon a dirt road. that literally just goes straight into the mountains. It's an eight-mile dirt road, straight road, right through. And at the very end of it, you'll come up to the guard post, uh, and there will be little markers every 10 to 15 feet identifying uh, that it's the border, it's an Air Force installation. And you're 30 miles from the nearest town of Rachel, Nevada. So you're literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there's no cell phone signal. Uh, so if anything happened to you, you would know, be days before anybody you know, happen to come up across you. And here I am by myself with a video camera, binoculars, still camera in hand uh, at the border of this base that up until 96 didn't exist, quote-unquote, and I climbed a hill next to the border so I could get pictures of that guard post, and that's when they sent the chopper out. After I literally heard the chopper powering up in the background. Because it's in the middle of nowhere, you can hear things, you know, the sound travels. And I kept climbing. The next thing I knew, the chopper dove into the valley behind me and was coming straight at me. So needless to say, I was definitely afraid at that point. I knew I hadn't broken any laws. I was on public land. I had every right to be there. They can't tell me I can't climb a hill in the middle of the desert. So what if it's next to a secret base? You know, it's public land. Uh, but they'll make it a point to scare you away to make sure you don't go any further. I didn't listen. Obviously, I said you know, I got to the top. I crossed the border. I looked both ways, and I stepped back, and nobody saw me. So, you know, I wasn't arrested. I wasn't, uh, you know, put in custody and interrogated for several hours, which is exactly what happens if you are caught. But um, yeah, so that all framed the the contact that I had made with the doctor uh, from North Jersey.
0: This is this is very interesting. Um, hey, so um, at the age of uh fifteen, when you started doing this sort of investigative work or just your own personal research and just talking to folks. Uh, had you had any of your own experiences at the time or any conscious memory of any experiences in your life up to that point?
1: Absolutely not. I didn't experience anything until 1999, at least as far as I can remember. I mean, it, now that I have gone through hypnotic regression, I you know, say anything is possible, but the only conscious memories I have of uh, anything, you know, experience-wise, it didn't happen until 99.
0: And then what was the 1999 event? Uh,
1: that was a traditional uh, large black flying triangle that I witnessed. I was, uh, in my last year of high school, I actually graduated class of 99, and I was studying to go to the Air Force Academy. I was going to study to be a pilot. I and you know had to go through SATs and all that, and... I was taking some extra courses as a part of the ROTC in high school, where I was training to be a pilot. So I had already clocked, you know, however many hours in simulators. I'd actually gone up and flown Cessna before, you know. I was doing the flight training in high school, so I knew typical aircraft navigation lights. I knew the navigation beacons, et cetera. I knew the, you know, the the general design and the architecture of a plane. You know, what the planes looked like. I knew the configuration and i was taking something out to the trash i forget what day of the week it was but as i was returning to the house i, lived, I just stopped and saw this large black triangular craft slowly moving across the sky uh, maybe a quarter to a half mile away a couple hundred feet in the air i could only have, a
0: couple hundred feet in the air
1: yeah it wasn't you know like far up into the distance where like a, you know a 747 airliner you know, travels up really high i mean this was pretty low um, so out at arm's length, it was probably about the size of a quarter, or maybe even a, actually larger than that. Probably uh, like the size of a ping pong ball, a ping pong ball or so. So I mean, it was pretty close to me. And what I really identified was the complete lack of sound in the entire area. There was no, there weren't any dogs barking. There weren't any bugs, you know, making noise. It was in the middle of July. It was July 17, 1999. So there should have been some type of you know ambient sound. There was nothing. Um, instead of that, I did feel uh, more than hear a hum or like a pulsing, like uh, like you expect next to a very large electrical generator. That I could hear more feel going through the air, uh, like a solid uh, or a very steady pulse, like a wow, wow. I could feel it more than hear it, and. As that craft moved across the sky, it was there almost the entire time. Once it went out of sight, that humming vibration sound went away, and the ambient sounds came back. And I initially dismissed it. I didn't think there was anything to it uh, until, you know, I went back and started looking at the details. You know, going back and you know, retracing, you know, not just my steps, but you know, what about it didn't make sense.
0: Now this is, so that silence you're describing is very telling, and that's, that shows up um, with with an incredible consistency in, in these kinds of sightings. There's a book that I read, um, it's kind of hard to find now, it's called um, Visitors from Time, and the author is Mark Davenport. Uh, Mark Davenport died, it might even be probably 2008, I think he died of natural causes. His, um, and I'm his wife was a an abductee named Leah Haley. I don't know if you've heard of her. No, I have not. Okay, she's written a handful of books, and um, uh, she was one of the very first people to talk about the MyLab experience, the military abduction experiences. Um, and then uh, and it's my understanding, just from talking to people and sort of reading between the lines, and and some you know some of what has been told to me directly by f- you know whatever sources that are that it's all hearsay, but uh, it's my understanding that that uh. Mark Davenport himself was an abductee. He did not bring that up at all in the book. But you, I think, would find this book very interesting, where he talks about the anomalies in these uh, uh, UFO sightings. And one of the things that he talks about is that the um, the utter silence, or this odd silence that shows up in these reporting of of sightings of craft or um, you know, when these things are unfolding or happening nearby, in the, in the case of an abductee, uh, his hypothesis is that the craft itself is distorting time. So just imagine if, if you had a machine that could distort time and it was on a dial, you could turn it a little right or a little left, it could distort time in either direction. Um, what would immediately happen in, the, like, the physical aspects of things in the in the field, let's say there's a there's a fifty yard field around this machine, um, is that it it wouldn't change the physical aspects of anything out there. For instance, a car would still be a car, but what would happen is you know audio sound travels in a wave, right? So you can visualize that sine wave that goes up and down, and and we as humans have a very narrow spectrum. Of what we can perceive in that sound wave, you know, dogs have a little extra uh, ability to hear higher pitched things. Um, bees supposedly have a the ability to hear lower things. Uh, you know, machines can pick up these sounds in the in the spectrum. But as soon as you distort that spectrum a little bit, it no longer matches what our ears can hear. So everything else, in essence, is the same. You know, our heart still beats. Our and but uh, the the just a very slight distortion will change that sine wave and then our, our ability to hear things will completely uh get shut off in essence and and of all the theories i've heard about what you know may or may not be causing the uh the the sound anomalies or that odd silence there's one researcher from i think it was from australia who used that term is coined it as the oz effect um And so that was, that, that was something that, that really rang true to me, not necessarily rang true, but I thought, I felt that was a very tidy explanation of, of why the sound would, you know, you would have that distortion in the sound.
1: That's very, I mean, it's a very believable, very well thought out uh, theory. And I'd say, I mean, I've never thought that the craft was exhibiting something on purpose, like, you know, like. All right, let's shut off all the dogs and cats and, you know, and and bugs. But, you know, it's not a conscious thing that they were doing, but it very well sounds like a side effect or, you know, just a total, just, I'm losing the word, I apologize. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no,
0: I see just what you're saying. Yeah, so, you know, in essence, you know, that's just a side effect of the propulsion system uh, if that propulsion system does distort sound. That's a very interesting book, and and, and and that's one of the few books that I truly recommend to everyone because that one really uh, uh, you know, he tackles a bunch of things, you know, using, um, his, you know, his working hypothesis is that the craft itself in its propulsion uses some sort of exotic technology that distorts time. And if you go with that, you know, as, as your hypothesis and then proceed forward, all these other things fall into place, you know, why cars stop and then mysteriously start up. Um, and then, um, Anyway, so I just it's, I would I recommend that book highly. I'll just, it's uh, Mark Davenport is the author and the book is titled Visitors from Time. Um so uh here let me just so you talked about during your uh uh your your video of the uh, documentation of your your presentation in Pennsylvania. You talked about um you uh you, you were a practicing Catholic yes. and then and then sort of there was a change of of uh, you know whatever your views, and then at the same time that that the uh, the phenomena seem to respond to that.
1: I'd say that that that's a good uh, summarization of it. Uh, I was raised Catholic. I was very much involved in it. I was in the youth group. I was an altar boy. All that good stuff and. What I found was at a very young age, I was having these exact same types of experiences, not the alien in nature, but the psychic type things where, you know, I could tell who was calling on the phone before it rang. I could know what song was coming on the radio before the next song even started, etc. And as I got more involved in the church, I noticed these things going away uh, to the point where they stopped completely. And it wasn't until I had left the church and you know, given up an organized religion that they started to come back. Uh, you know, it's framed a lot of my opinions. I think that there's a big difference between religion and faith. I have faith in plenty of things, including a higher power. But I think all almost all of the religions of today are corrupted by politics and greed, so I don't follow any of them. Uh, obviously, it's a much more personal side of the phenomenon, and I used to include a lot of anti-religious type material on my website, and I've received a lot of hate mail, literally things in the you know postal mail, not just email. Uh, so I was definitely, uh, I went through a dark period of my life. So I was definitely glad to have moved past that. And like I said, it just really changed my entire worldview. And I think my perception of these experiences as well.
0: Now, this is fascinating because this is something that, um, that not so much in the same way that you have defined it, but that shows up as a pattern where i have talked to so many uh people and oftentimes these people i you know one of there's like a very uh, new age side of this phenomena and there are nuts and bolts researchers who just cringe at this at this um at that side of the phenomena I've, i had one i just interviewed grant cameron and he points out that which is correct it's not 100 true but it's a generalization that that, that plays out in real life um that you know many of the women involved in this phenomena will uh be looking at the consciousness aspects of it will be looking at the psychological aspects will be looking at the spiritual aspects of it and many of the men will be looking at the you know pragmatic uh you know you know what kind of uh divots did they leave in the ground what kind of uh, photo analysis can we do what kind of um you know so that type of thing very very nuts and bolts pragmatic uh you know kick the tires type of things but um but the what you're describing just when you said that you know you have faith but you don't follow a religion um is is i don't want to say almost universal with the uh, people who claim the abduction phenomena but um it's pretty close so so to me that 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 is another thing that's very telling you know that's that falls right into line with the odd silence you heard um, and, and I can also say this, that, that defines my outlook on things where, where in essence I was, oh, up until probably the mid nineties, I was completely dismissive of any kind of higher power or, or, or issues of spirituality. And that all came flooding in and I had, um, you know, sort of a dark night of the soul. And then I, I, I looked into those things and I found that surprisingly enough, uh, channeled material, you know, people who were channeling uh, things really played a a role. Specifically, there's one book which sounds very Christian in its title. It's a book called Conversations with God. It's a series of three books uh, by an author named Neil Donald Walsh who claimed to have channeled directly from God. Um, And I liked those books mostly just because they uh, allowed me to put reality in just a different framework than I had ever looked at it. And I just found that framework was very pleasant, and it just seemed like a nice way to look at the universe, and I just found it was very helpful for my overall outlook with everything.
1: I think I uh, can't remember if I had read that book or not, but it does sound familiar. Yeah,
0: it was say, very popular. Uh,
1: they, sold well, a million. I found it interesting that you identify that the, the men typically like the nuts and bolts approach uh, you know, in this field. Um, I've seen a lot of investigators you know, really just... Isolate themselves with specific subject matter and not want to go in either direction. Uh, I know MUFON had historically wanted to investigate sightings, but then they wanted nothing to do with abductions because they were too much ridicule involved. You know, thankfully they've changed that approach. But you know, there's a lot of people I work with and have worked with who say, you know, oh, I believe in this, but not that. And I don't, I don't want to investigate that because it's too weird. You know, and, and it's. Very telling, and I think it's very interesting what people are willing and not willing to to expose themselves to. I take the approach that everything is related. There's some aspect of it. It's called the paranormal for a reason because it's all outside of the norm that we accept in our everyday lives. Everything from Bigfoot to the Loch Ness Monster. You Monster. Know, do I 100% believe that Bigfoot exists? No. But can I really prove either way? No, I can't do that either. So I leave my opinion open on it haven't seen enough evidence to push me one way or the other. Uh, but from my own experiences, I have. And when I've speak, uh, when I've spoken at other events and I've met with other people who have had these exact same encounters, there's just something you can feel a connectedness, some type of uh, you know the emotion that they, that they uh, show and share with everyone. It's, you can't miss how genuine they are. And it had an impact, and that is the biggest thing. All of these experiences had an impact on me, and you know, going through these changes, like I said, I was a devout Catholic—not devout, but raised Catholic—became an atheist hardcore. I was very dark time in my life, then became much more of a spiritualist type person. You know, through that whole uh, transformation. I, I changed so many different times, and I said, oh, what do people need God for? It's just a crutch, you know, these weak-minded individuals, to very badly quote, uh, I think, Jesse Ventura. But uh, I, you know, I had nothing to do with religion. And then I saw how important it was to people, and it really was their whole the belief system and why they got up in the morning and why, you know, they they did what they did every day and sacrificed things for each other. Then at the same time, I saw how controlling it was and how people could use that and twist it to whatever their will was and take advantage of people, and at the same time, literally put chains on people because of those beliefs. So it's one of those topics where it's, you know, you're not supposed to talk about it, you know, when your friends and family and all that kind of stuff is full pop, but, you know, I, I think it's a very important element of what it means to be a human being, and it absolutely applies to everything in this field, because I've had people come out of nowhere and say that aliens are... The devil, they're literally demons, and Satan's using them to tempt people away from God. And I dismiss those people, and like I have no time for that approach whatsoever. So I'm kind of going against my own, you know, theories or opinions, or, you know, trying to be that open minded skeptic. But I've never seen any evidence to support that claim. I just see them as fanatical religious nuts. And, you know, quote me on that. I just don't accept that, uh, that theory at all. That is one thing I absolutely, totally disbelieve in, Uh, but that's coming from evidence. I've had my own experiences. I've never had a negative experience connotation uh, around it. Yes, some of my experiences were scary, but that was my own ignorance to the phenomenon or to what these experiences were really like in person. Sure, I read about them, but never went through it. So it was my own fear of the unknown that made me fearful. It wasn't the experience itself, but... There's, I, I'm sorry, I don't see any connection with demons with the ET phenomena. So,
0: you yeah, can just, yeah. Well, that's interesting because I think that it, just from my research, I sense that there is a real, uh, there potentially is a very real presence that um, that could be defined as demonic um, and, uh, you know, it, and I don't see it overlapping with the UFO phenomena. That seems to be an entirely different phenomena that, um, you know, that, you know, I've read books on, on exorcism, for instance, and it seems to be, there's a lot of evidence that, that, you know, there's something very unusual at play with that. But, um, uh, hey, so you, um, during your talk and this is i'm just going back to that you said that you were very driven to share your own personal experiences and and that that to me is also very telling and i think that is actually something that has shown up very recently uh in the in the overall um you know big picture of of how this is this whole is thing is playing out and what do you mean when you say you you feel driven
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, over the years, I've been very vocal with people within the UFO community. I've been willing to share my experiences. I've been running the Philadelphia UFO meetup Group for, I don't know how many years now, at least, I think, five years or so. So I have been vocal to small groups, but something changed within me uh, over between 2009 up until today. I... I reached a new level of acceptance with these encounters. I no longer questioned them. I was no longer trying to figure out, well, why did this happen? You know, I have been an investigator. I've been researching this. I had things happen to me. I would have more experiences when my interest would wane, so it was almost as if something was, you know, making it more a part of my life. But I reached a point where not only did I accept there was something outside of this reality that could be directing the course of events, I met my wife because of my ghost hunting. I, when I accepted my experiences, MUFON contacted me out of the blue as if I needed it and got me to do uh, hypnotic regression. So it's like when I reached the point where I was willing subconsciously to explore these encounters, it got put right in my lap. MUFON contacted me out of the blue after eight years of my case being quote-unquote cold case and said, you know what, we want to do hypnotic regression on you. Up until that point, I said, I don't want to. I, I do not want to learn what I had experienced. So when I made that switch, something put the opportunity right in front of me, completely out of the blue. And I've had so many events over the years related, directly related to this phenomenon where it looked like something was positioned for me. It was either given to me, it was put right there. I didn't have to take it, but I did.
0: Oh, here, here, give me an example because this is, this is something that I feel that you and I share. So I would love to hear an example of this.
1: Well, I mean, the, the movement thing is perfect. Like I said, I did a special for Comcast back in 2009. Uh, it was called uh, Watch the Skies. It was these little on-demand programs they did. And they had reenactors uh, portraying me, going through my different experiences, the missing time, the sighting, um, the object in my leg. And during that interview, I had spoken about Uh, They asked the question, do you want to explore these memories? Do you want to go through hypnotic regression? I said, no, because I really don't want to know. Maybe, you know, some things are better left unexplained. You know, I don't think that I was ready. I think I was still intimidated by it. And the moment that I changed, I think I was at one of my UFO meetups, and I was talking to a group of people, sharing these experiences. And once again, someone asked a question. I said, you know what? I would be open to it. I think I need to know what happened, because I'm not afraid of it anymore. And literally within a couple weeks, I believe, MUFON contacted me and then just set things up one after the next. You know, they got me to meet with two field investigators in New Jersey. I did an interview with them. A couple weeks later, all right, let's do hypnotic regression. I meet with Major uh, George Filer. We do the hypnotic regression.
0: Hi, this is Mike. I am chiming in during the editing process. Yes, uh, Chris, if you listened closely, he just said he was doing hypnotic regression with Major George Filer. Now, George Filer is well known in the UFO research community. He keeps a website called Filer Reports where he has been cataloging a massive amount of UFO sighting reports. He also had uh, a, an extremely strange encounter while in the Air Force uh, an event where a UFO was hovering near a runway and there was also a, a report of a uh, entity walking around on the runway. I think this is correct. Uh, very easily researched. Hey, um, the weird thing is, and I actually wrote this down on my notes, and I wanted to interrupt Chris and sort of make this point. Uh, I, I didn't. The conversation just kind of uh, went on its merry way, and I and I didn't wind back and make this point. But uh, what I wanted to say is, George Filer has recently come forward and stated that he is a UFO abductee he tells of events in his youth uh, as a small boy, uh, and he shares that on a YouTube video with a researcher from Hong Kong, a fellow named Neil Gould. I've included a link to this video down in the show notes. Uh, It's very interesting. I encourage anyone to watch it. Uh, What it is is a pattern of what amount to some of the elder statesmen within the UFO research community are coming forward, and sharing their own personal abduction experiences. Um, I think of uh, Colin Andrews and Leo Sprinkle and Raymond Fowler all fit this uh, very curious pattern. Um, Now, this pattern to me is extremely telling of the strangeness of this overall phenomenon. Okay, enough said. Back to the interview
1: couple of weeks later, all right, let's do hypnotic regression. I meet mean, with the major uh, George Feiler, we do the hypnotic regression. I explore all these memories that I had with uh, my wife. It was a shared experience where I actively remembered seeing beings, etc. And it seemed to come at the right time. And I was ready. I was, I think, subconsciously ready to, re- uh, uh, you know, just access these memories. And I was no longer afraid. And I, I just accepted them for whatever they were. and I, it, it just went from there. And I put myself out there last October for the move on conference. It felt like the right thing to do. It felt like I needed to be sharing my story so people could hear the experiences and realize that they're not the only ones going through it. You know, you're not alone. I hate the you know, it's very cliche. You know, you're not alone when you're talking about UFO abductions, but you're not. People all around the world have experienced it but are too afraid to talk about it. And it just felt like the right thing to do. I followed that up until this year in September, where I had the opportunity to go to Maine and speak at the Experiencers Speak conference, which was all abductees, experiencers, people have had sightings. There was only one or two speakers who had not had a direct abduction experience. and. It put me in touch with so many great people, including Travis Walton, Peter Robbins. I have known Peter for several years now. We have a good friendship. I had never met Travis before, and I'm currently reading his book you know, to really understand what he went through. But it was the exact same sentiment that I, I just understood that this is the right thing to do. I need to be talking about this. I need to be sharing my experiences. And now I'm also writing my book. I'm you know, documenting all of this. Uh, so I'm really trying to get the information out there in every way possible.
0: Okay, so when during a couple of uh, back-and-forth emails as we were setting up this uh, interview, you sort of implied that you had reached a new level or, or you had some sort of, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word epiphany, but um, that something, the event in Maine, you know, triggered something in you and changed something in you.
1: Absolutely. I think the the biggest... Roadblock that I had for fully accepting that I had actually experienced these things that they were not in my head was the opinion that my wife has had in regards to this research over the years. Uh, We've been together 10 years and married two and very early on in our relationship, I had presented this information and these experiences and my opinions and theories about it all. And she told me flat out, you're effing nuts. You know, if you actually think that you were taken in the middle of the night by these little green, gray beings, whatever, and stuff was done to you, then you're crazy. And please don't talk about this with me. So for many years, she had had this, not just wall, but it really was. She did not want it to have anything to do with it. She loved my ghost hunting research. She loved the paranormal. She wanted nothing to do with the alien stuff. And whenever I would come to her and say, well, what about the thing in my leg? But well, what about this? But well, what about that? Oh, it's wishful thinking. It's all in your head. Nothing actually happened to you. She was completely dismissive of it. It wasn't until in 2009 that we had a shared experience where she and I both went through something, um, told each other days later the memories that we had, and we were completing each other's stories. So I, I couldn't expect that to have been a dream because so much of it felt real. Those were the memories that I explored under hypnosis and was able to get a lot more detail. The way I explain it is if, if you think of a horse uh, with a horse and buggy and it's got the little blinders on so it can only see what's directly in front of it, when you go through hypnosis, you already can see what's in front of you. Hypnosis starts to pull those blinders back and let you see a lot of the same scenario and understand it and that's exactly what happened. After I presented at the MUFON conference, where I had spoken about things I never told my wife, she pulled me aside after the fact and told me she remembered them too. She remembered the exact same details that I had just presented to 400 people and I had never told her before. It was that moment where she moved into the believer column and stopped doubting uh, you know, that I had had these experiences. And it was at the conference in Maine where I literally put all the pieces together and I realized the number one reason I was not accepting that I had had these encounters was because I had not let that go. You know, my wife had had this opinion and it pretty much changed that opinion, but I had not let it go. My support system, the person I talked to about everything, I still had like this complex in my head. Oh, she doesn't believe me. She doesn't believe me. And it was when I was with all these other experiencers and we were talking about these things and I identified that that support system is the number one thing that you know how important it is because I had no one to go to and because I had no one to talk to about this for so many years and to truly be open about it without being ridiculed that I still doubted it myself and when I finally let that go and I realized that it was my own you know opinion her opinion of my experiences was the old one That I never let go. It wasn't until I realized, you know what? She has accepted it. She doesn't like it. She doesn't have to. But she has accepted that we experienced something together. That I realized I had the support that I needed. I can now accept my own experiences. And then I did. And then after that, it's literally been, you know, it's been snowballing. Interview after interview, appearance after appearance. I'm writing a book. I've got all this motivation. And it all feels like the right thing to do. That epiphany was the fact that I had not let go of her old opinion. She'd already changed her opinion. I hadn't let it go yet.
0: Wow, this is fascinating. In a way, it sounds like you're talking, giving me a pep talk. In a way, because you know, I, uh, I am very cautious to define my my experiences as what would be called alien abduction. I just don't like the term. Right. I don't have enough of a direct memory to to. To make that feel honest, uh, it, you know, it feels, it feels dishonest to say that uh, I could put a little, like, over the last, you know, probably five or six years, I could create a little graph, right? And I could just trace this line, where it feels it's It's feeling more and more honest as time goes on and and the little line is changing its its axis on the on this you know long timeline and eventually that axis line that you know that that uh you know my feelings are gonna are gonna connect with that, uh, with the timeline, you know, it just seems like it's not going to be too much farther into the future where I may in fact, you know, be at peace calling myself an alien abductee. Uh, Presently, I am not at peace with that title. Uh, I I do feel very strongly that I have experienced something. uh, And, and I am extremely aware that all the puzzle pieces, uh, when you link them all together, you know, uh, I don't have all the pieces. So there's some blank spots in that puzzle, but, um, you know, you can, you can stand back from an unfinished puzzle and know exactly what the puzzle is. Okay. Uh, so, you know, so that's sort of where I'm at right now. So, uh, and I do recognize that that sense completely. One of the things that I am very aware of, uh, I mean, I, I certainly act like an abductee, like I'm certainly doing things that an abductee would do. For instance, this podcast, you know, this, the website that I keep, uh, you know, that when I go to conferences, I feel of extremely profound closeness and a sense of kinship with with people who share the experience and i and i need that camaraderie uh, i crave it so you know all these things you know i recognize how telling all these these puzzle pieces are um at the same time i i just uh, ooh, you know, like it's I'm I'm still cautious to if there was another word, I would I would jump on that word. You know, if there was another word that had less, I mean, alien abduction is just such a You know, those two words side by side are just fraught with, you know, such baggage. And, and uh, you know, it it. Yeah, so I, I I'm doing exactly what I'm doing right now, where I just get right up to the line and I'm just I'm just shy about crossing it. And it sounds like you have crossed that line.
1: Well, I think there's, I mean, uh, we could speak hours about just what you shared. Um, it, a lot of the people involved in this phenomenon are changing the way that they label it. Alien abduction, alien means foreign. And abduction is, you know, the you know, taking of someone against their will. It's a you know, force of removal from their you know, general habitat. So putting those things, foreign removal, I mean, it's just it's very scary. Both words exhibit fear, and they're meant to. So a lot of what the people in this community are trying to do is change the overall tone of how they label their experiences, because that's what they are, their experiences. And with mine, I don't have the conscious waking, I saw it like I'm looking outside of a window right now experience. I had a lot of telltale signs that something was out of the ordinary. I kept waking up night after night around the time of the shared experience and I could just feel that something was off in the house. I knew something was wrong. I kept waking up two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, didn't know why, and I felt something was off in the house. And the one night where we had the experience, I woke up and I couldn't move and I felt like I literally just come out of a trance similar to the missing time event that I had. And all of these memories flooded back. It was almost as if I, you know, I feel that I was there. I experienced it. This happened to me, and my conscious mind was shut off, where I could not, regu- you know, just normally remember things like I remember a phone number. However, your subconscious mind still records those events. You still, you know, witness them. They're in your head. You're just disconnected from those memories. And as I woke whatever that little block was that was stopping these memories from coming back was lifted and everything flooded in. Kind of like in the movie The Matrix when he was jacked in. Neo was jacked in for the first time after being taken out of the pod, you know, whatever. And the world just, like, flooded his vision and everything. All these senses came whoosh right back. That's how the memories came back into my head. And I just perceived everything all at once. And that's why I think it was very confusing and how... I found it difficult to actually, you know, make sense of the memories. And that's what hypnosis, you know, does a really good job about doing. It helps you clarify those memories. So when I say I consciously remembered, I did. You know, do I remember it as vividly or as, you know, realistically as I'm sitting in front of my computer talking to you? No. But I, all the memories flooded back in as if I did experience it firsthand and my memory was separated from my conscious mind, so I couldn't access them. And a lot of the recent contacts that I've made with the UFO meetup, I was introduced to a guy named Dan Aguilera. He contacted me out of the blue. He was from Delaware. He came up and presented twice at our meetup, two months in a row. And he shared a lot of the consciousness and spiritual aspects of this phenomenon. And what he said made so much sense. These beings are operating on another level, their mental capacity far exceeds ours, and they're probably interdimensional. When they're operating, their brains, they probably have much more of their subconscious mind or work on whatever frequency, wavelength, etc., that that operates on. So when people have encounters, when they directly interact with these beings, their conscious minds simply cannot process what is happening because it is happening on a level that is higher than our conscious minds can just operate in. So their subconscious mind still records everything. It still processes everything that you're going through, but it has no conscious, you know, like like a boundary. It has no conscious, you know, like buying something that it can make sense out of. And sometimes the memories come back in. Sometimes the beings will present an image that is more uh, acceptable to the person's mind. That's why some people would describe dead family members or ghosts, or hooded figures, or just black shadows, you know. Or Jesus that,
0: shows up a lot too, yeah.
1: Exactly. Something that is more acceptable to their conscious mind, so they can process the memory and actually absorb it, and it isn't just, you know, barricaded away in your subconscious. And sometimes with the case of Betty and Barney Hill, they started having nightmares, because during sleep, Your subconscious and conscious minds interact and you are able to perceive things that you can't during your normal waking. And I think that, you know, these beings do operate in a level and people, you know, simply cannot directly interact with them because we're not as advanced, you know, physiologically as they are, however it works, but the memories are in our subconscious. So just because you don't remember having a waking memory like you and I are talking right now doesn't mean you didn't experience something out of the ordinary. And I think a lot of it has to do with our own acceptance of them. I stopped trying to label it. I no longer you know, really describe my encounters as alien abduction because I don't think that I was taken against my will. I believe on a subconscious level I invited this in. I allowed it to happen. I wanted this to happen. And it did. You know, however that works, Many people have reported seeing UFOs and saying to their friends standing right next to them or even thinking to themselves, I would love to see that up close. I wish it could come down and bam, it comes right down, hovers on top of them. And then they, you know, almost piss their pants because they're afraid. But they thought that and somehow these beings are able to perceive that. So these theories are based on eyewitness testimony. And plus the fact that I've experienced it for myself pretty much proves it to me that I'm on the right track.
0: Yes. So yeah. So you've you know you you've tapped into a bunch of things that that I want to comment on here. Um. You know that that sense that these entities are are coming to us from another realm, uh, and that the the interaction like their realm being so profoundly different than our realm makes it impossible for us to understand and that, you know, we, we block it out, it gets recorded in the subconscious, but the, but the conscious mind just can't process it. Yeah. That, that to me, it's interesting. Now I, you, you started this whole thing by saying that you you were fascinated by this sort of ancient alien issues and how that, that, uh, that, um, uh, you know, sort of played, you know, how, how these issues well up in the, in ancient, whether it's uh, religious documents or, you know, uh, hieroglyphs on, uh, on some ancient temple in Egypt. Um, now, I've been wrestling with this idea, and it seems like what happens, like, I just think it's human nature. I just think it's how we are hardwired. When we are confronted with this stuff from another realm, um, you know, we are forced to process it, or we, we attempt to process it, it it automatically goes through a filter the same way that, you know, you can drag something on your desktop and change a, you know, you know, one file to another file, you know, you, it's, it's in essence filtering it through some sort of system. And what appears at the other end for humans is that it somehow changes to mythology, you know, that, that's, you know, I, I, you know, you read, Oh, you know, the stories of, you know, ancient uh, Greek, mythology and and just what they're describing it just seems like someone was tapping into something from beyond that veil and it just transfers itself into mythology and I just want to be very one of the things I may be completely off base but I am aware that that we are doing the same thing right now where there's a a mythos involved in this uh, abduction lore a mythos, in the sense that, like any teenager at a shopping mall, if you took them aside and said, "Hey, you know, describe the alien abduction thing," they would, uh, without skipping a beat, you know, kind of go down the checklist, and they would give you ten things, and all those ten things are, are actually what get reported. It's the it's the the next ninety things that are more interested in, um, as far as how these you know that they may not be tapped into, but but I sense that what we're experiencing right now, you know, little gray beings and metal spaceships is on one level, just as much a mythology as, you know, men in togas living on Mount Olympus. Uh, I might be totally off base, but that's, that's that's. I'm sort of, I, I I just use that metaphor as a way to wrap my mind around it. Well,
1: I think it makes perfect sense. I think that we, you know, we find ways to explain things that we don't understand. And, you know, a part of this mythology, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's in pop culture. You know, the movie Paul is a perfect example. I love it. It's a great comic. Oh, ex-
0: absolutely perfect. Yeah.
1: And, you know, when they were talking about, you know, know, where do you think the ideas for E.T. came from? And here's Spielberg talking to Paul on the phone. He's like, you know, what about blah, 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 blah. He's like, what does that mean? It's like, well, healing. Oh, yeah, that could work. Like a light comes out of his finger and heals him. He's like, you know, joking about it. But, you know, I absolutely think that a large part of this is, you know, influenced by popular culture. At least, you know, maybe the descriptions of the objects. But, you know, what people, and I'll give you a number, one out of ten UFO sightings are reported, one out of 10. And that's just from a sighting standpoint. So you imagine if the other 90% of those people came forward, well, let's think about abductions and these encounters. It doesn't have to be an abduction. You could have seen it being, could have encountered something. You know How many of those are never talked about or never shared? And when they are shared, you have to be a part of the community to really be privy to it. There was a huge sighting over in the UK, I think in the past couple of days, where a family reported the object being above their house for like four hours. They caught it on video. It's a very credible case. The light, the lights do not match any conventional objects yet. You know, I'm not saying it couldn't be ruled out, but it's a great case, and it's all over the UK press, but there's not a damn thing about it in the United States, and that's almost always the case. We are the most uh, the United States is so positioned against the reality of UFOs and ETs being real and interacting with us compared to a lot of the other world nations. So unfortunately, the only place where it is acceptable for this stuff to be real is that mythological aspect. It's like, oh yeah, little green men. Everyone jokes about the little green men except the people who have actually encountered them and tell you they're not really green. But it's you know what is acceptable in popular culture, what is acceptable in mainstream society, and unfortunately, the things that you and I have have seen and experienced aren't there yet.
0: Except in our in our yeah, except in the mythos, yeah, yeah, exactly
1: right. But you know, there will come a time, and I have absolutely no doubt about it whatsoever. Where I'll be able to walk down the street and strike uh, strike up a conversation with a perfect stranger and say, "Hey, what do you think about that new race of aliens that, that's visiting from such and such?" You know, I guarantee it's going to happen within our time, because one, the whoever's controlling military-industrial complex whatever, whoever is controlling the uh, you know the cosmic Watergate, as Stanton Friedman calls it, that's keeping this information a secret is losing its battle because of things like the internet. So their stranglehold on the truth will eventually end. The general public will know about this. You know, to what capacity? I don't know. But, you know, we will not just be this small part of the New Age phenomenon. It will be a part of reality for everybody, I think, in the coming years.
0: Yeah, I I, this is, you know, I, I don't know how the future is going to play out. But I do recognize that there is a, you know, like a, just a graph on a timeline and, and it, the level of acceptance. Like, for instance, I've come forward with my stories, uh, had very little backlash. I think mostly, my, you know, people that know me, a lot of them are just kind of bored, you know, and they just kind of roll their eyes and just wait for me to change the subject when, uh, uh, you know, when I do talk about this stuff, as opposed to being, you know, critically judgmental of of, or, you know, like, you know, or or venomously contemptuous of like my that that hasn't shown up you know that kind of thing that what is just uh, so I I just think of when Whitley Strieber came forward in eighty seven um, and how his uh, how he was met with such violent opposition um, you know and, and I I sense that that ain't that ain't how it's playing out right now and and if we right. you know if we just stretch that a few oh, years or decades out into the future, um, you know, I, I I think that trend is going to continue where it's just going to be more and more understood and more and more accepted. Um, hey, so here's a... Uh, you talked about hypnosis. Now, this is just... This is coming from me at a totally personal level. I have attempted hypnosis three times, each time with a video recorder in the room, and I think the video camera made me super nervous, and I was so freaked out and so nervous going into it that nothing really came up um and i felt you know i felt really blocked i you know i don't know what's what's behind that block i you know but uh but i did definitely feel that sense of just like you know gritting my teeth and like damn it i am not going to cross this line uh i feel less like that now uh these events took place all the hypnosis events took place in 97 no excuse me excuse me, 2007 and 2008. Um, I, uh, you know, I just, I just, and there's a lot to, there's a lot of folks out there who basically, I mean, I've been told, you know, a certain percentage of people will say, yes, oh, get a, get hypnosis. Yeah, it's so wonderful. You got to get hypnosis. It changes everything. It's wonderful. And there's other people who say, like, don't you dare go down that avenue of hypnosis. You're just going to open up a can of worms and it's all going to be, you know, uh, confabulation and it's all going to be, you know, the, 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 you're going to be led by the hypnotherapist, and and so there's these two camps that are completely at polar opposites at, at, as far as the, the the role of hypnosis in this kind of research. And I'm just curious. And, and this is your, you know, you're not talking to the audience in a way. You're talking to me because I actually want to hear your 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 what your insights into it are.
1: Well, there's a lot of things at play there. The number one thing you have to be ready. I think, as I described before, I was initially not ready. I did not want to explore these events because I was afraid of what I could learn. So once I reached the point of accepting it, even without going through hypnosis, then I was ready to proceed. Uh, One thing that you do need to keep in mind, regardless of who conducts the hypnosis, if you open the door to your subconscious, it will never be shut again. It will never be completely shut. Uh, I was warned before I went under. They said, you know, if you do this, you may recover memories on your own after the fact. You can be doing anything. You can be, you know, walking down the street, whatever. A memory could come in on its own. Are you okay with that? And that exact thing happened to me. I had a distinct, you know, memory come back where I knew that the beings were in the house. I just knew it. Uh, and then I, I backed up in the fear and the memory in our bedroom and we stopped. So. After going through it, more memories can come through. Now, with that being said, the whoever conducts it needs to be a professional. Now, I've read a lot of David Jacobs' work. I've read, uh, you know, a lot from the different uh, major people involved in the phenomenon. And every one of them has admitted, I believe, to you know, made mistakes where they've accidentally asked the wrong type of question. And they led somebody, you know, whatever. That is absolutely always a risk. However. If the person is professional, if they, you know, have done their homework and they conduct it right, you don't need to worry about those aspects. Because hypnosis, believe it or not, is used a lot more often than you think. In, in like the police, uh, inter- not interrogations, but when they're trying to do cases and such, the police will use them as well. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of different areas where it's absolutely used and respected, and you'll have just as many skeptics towards it. But I think the big thing is you have to be ready. You have to be willing and accepting to access these memories. When you are, it will work. And that's why no memories from a missing time, no memories from the implant ever came through. The shared experience where those memories were already allowed into my conscious memory, I was able to explore further. So I think I had already made the acceptance. I had already, you know, opened the door, put the key in the lock, whatever you want to call it. I already reached a certain point. Hypnosis only helped me further. So there's a, and you, like I said, you really have to be ready for it. You have to be at a point in your life and in your acceptance of these experiences to put yourself through it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and one of the things that, that, i'm recognizing this is this is part of the reason i do these shows these audio podcasts and and is uh i have been getting letters and emails from folks and um and i've met a few in person at conferences and they are uh thanking me for the hard work i'm doing or like well the the very open work that i'm doing let me put it that way and um and i and i sense that um Well, not sense. I realize that I have a responsibility to be really honest in this, in this format, uh, just because people are, 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 you know, people are, you know, people with very similar experiences to you and I, and oftentimes these people are in that, that phase where it is extremely challenging and extremely confusing, um, are coming to my site to, to, uh, to find solace in a way, or to find some some insights into what may be their own experiences. So let, let me just say that I take this role very seriously. Now, all that said, a part of the reason I'm thinking of going into hypnosis or using hypnosis as a as a tool is because since I started looking into this in 2007, uh, like the, the trap door basically fell out from under me. I started experiencing synchronicities at a rate that just defies any logical explanation uh you know the uh and and it scared me it freaked me out uh it was challenging it it uh it was not peaceful and um i feel like there's you know same thing the same metaphor of like a timeline it seems like you know you could put one line and you could just measure my acceptance and it's changing and i'm accepting it more and more but at the same time uh there's another line in that same timeline where just the quality of my life has, has not been that great. Like, I've been very depressed, I've been very reclusive, I've been very stressed out, um, and, I, and I, I'm and relating that, uh, you know, that, that side of my, uh, these issues to the overall phenomena that we're discussing right now. Uh, and I don't know if that's accurate, I don't know if that's right, but I do sense that... Um, like I feel like collectively like at a you know like a, a very real part of my makeup my my of who I am right now is you know whatever this guy that's kind of gritting his teeth, you know like you know clamping some part of his psyche shut uh and and I recognize that and it's it's hard it's been hard and i and i and i'm using i'm that's part of the reason I'm looking to hypnosis is that i'm I'm just hoping to that it will help my overall quality of life, or I basically sense that there's a change that needs to take place, and I'm fighting that change. There, I said it in one sentence, rather than going on and on like I just did.
1: I think um, I I completely understand what you're going through. There was a definite time where I was very resistant to the idea that the universe has this, I don't even want to call it a plan, but you know, certain things are meant to be. I I mean, it's the weirdest concept. But when you, uh, this is another thing that I really just got in touch with up in Maine is that once you stop fighting it, and when you let things just fall into place, the more at peace you will be. And I just allowed certain things to happen, I just relinquished control, and I said, yes, I trust whatever's coming, and know it's the right thing, and let me just uh, allow it. And when I did that in certain areas, it just wham, you know, these things continue to happen absolutely had similar synchronistic events, and, you know, certain things, like I said, it's like they were meant to happen when they happened, and I could have continued to fight them, I could have, you know, been resistant to the idea, but, you know, it's also partly a comforting thing to think that things do happen for a reason, and there is, I hate to say it, a plan out there, you know, this, this, this great concept, but... The way I look at it is like karma. You can either ride the train or fight it. Uh, And a lot of people who, you know, actively go against whatever's coming, their lives typically end up worse. And if you just sometimes sit back and say, you know what, it's going in this direction. Let me let it go. And, you know, I'll pick up the pieces after the fact. And I'll do what I have to, you know, once it's done. And that was a very difficult thing for me to accept and to even listen to. I never, you know, once I, you know, went through that atheist phase, I'm like, no, God, no, there's no such thing as faith. Things don't happen for a reason. There's chaos, blah, blah, blah. And everything that I was experiencing spoke against it and showed me that that approach was not right, and I refused to believe it. And I think, you know, just like with the hypnosis, it was time. I needed to do it at that time, and that's why it became available and it presented itself so quickly, for years, everyone's like, do hypnosis, do hypnosis. From 2002 to 2010, I was so resistant to it. And then as soon as I said, you know what, I need to do this, the opportunity presented itself immediately. So there's been so many times where that has happened, where things have lined up, I've been in touch with people who I needed to get in touch with, and things have just happened. It can't just be randomness, it can't just be chaos.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I and I sense that too. And it just it's I I realize that you know, the direction I've been moving in all these years now, um, I just need to follow up. You know, if I turn the clock back to two thousand and six, like before that time, uh, I had a, you know a set of stories. You know, three or four stories I could tell, and you know they involved missing time. You know, one of them even involved seeing five gray aliens in my yard in the middle of the night. And I could tell these stories in a kind of like flippant dismissive way, like kind of, ha, huh, you know what, who'd have thunk, you know? And, uh, and I wouldn't, and I never entertained the idea that, that I may have direct involvement. You know, I, I did, well, let's say I entertained the idea, but I very quickly dismissed it. Let me put it that way. But, and then when I started looking into this and it all ba- was based on a synchronicity that involved, um, uh, it's, I won't go into it now, but just basically finding this bottle of suntan lotion, and the the everything that was involved in that was was so weird, and and uh, you know I'd been looking for this product, couldn't find it, and then I found it on the side of the road under very odd circumstances, and as soon as I saw this bottle of suntan lotion on the side of the road, I the the voice in my head. This would have been 2006, I think. The voice in my head just screamed, "It's them," and uh, and that was like coming to terms with the voice in my head at the moment of that synchronicity was uh you know what sort of started me catapulted me into where i am right now uh which a very innocuous synchronicity but that voice was uh you know my, it was my own voice it was my own subconscious you know just screaming at me uh that's the way i'm interpreting it now but um who uh so, oh, go on.
1: No, I, I, I just can't help but laugh because a lot of this has parallels to my own experiences. I think it, I would initially talk about these experiences like you did. I would at a, at a cocktail party, and it's like, hey, you have a gag, you have a you know cool little uh, you know trick that you know. Hey, I've got the only abduction story. Hey, look at me. You know, it was like this, you know, just this fun little tidbit of information that you know I never really took further. So I used to approach that. It was like a parlor, you know, party trick. And that's really what it was. The story was like a party trick when I would talk to people. I didn't accept the, the level of impact that it had, and never accepted the seriousness of it until more, you know, much more recently. And the other thing about knowing that it's knowing that they were there when I was on wherever I was. I hate to call it a craft because I just you know, it still just sounds weird. But anyway when I was on the ship, whatever, laying on this table, I could not look at them. I knew I was not allowed to look at them, but I also knew that there were four beings. I don't know how. I just knew. It's not like I was told, don't look at us. I just knew there were four. I could hear them walking very quickly around the table. You know, I knew that there were four. I just knew it. And I knew that the one that I saw in our bedroom through hypnosis was a female, and she was assigned to me. I just knew. I don't remember her saying, hey, guess what? I'm a female, and I'm assigned to you. I just knew it. And when I have that flashback, that memory, you know, several months after undergoing hypnosis where I was, I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, walking down the hallway, bam, I get this memory back where I distinctly remember doing the exact same thing and stopping dead in my tracks and realizing they're in the house. And then I just backed up against the wall in fear and the memory stops. I just knew. I knew they were in the house. I can't describe that. But you just know. And I'm getting, you know, tingled, you know, weird feelings right now. Just... You know these things. You know when they're near. You know, know, it just, you do. And I can't describe that. But, and so I I just found it funny how you describe the exact same approach that I used to have. I would not talk about these experiences in earnest. That would be much more of a, I like that you flip in, you know, joking party trick type of thing. Uh, Now it's dead serious. And, you know, it's, I see it in a completely different way.
0: Yep. Yep. And, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been hard. Hey, you told a story, and I may be getting this wrong. Did you tell a story about being in a hallway and having some sort of, like, floating experience?
1: No, nothing ever with floating. Uh, I, well, the, the two things, the memory, when I explored hypnosis, I remember seeing there were four, excuse me, two to three people standing in a hallway with blank expressions on their faces. They were naked, but they were waiting to come into the room that we were in. Uh, but then the memory that I just described, where I knew that they were in the house, was the only thing I knew about in the hallway. Nothing ever about floating.
0: Okay, I mean, I'm just, I just, was, I had some, I just was remembering something I must have remembered incorrectly. Great. Um. Uh, the, now you, you know, you 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 seem like a very pragmatic guy, you know, doing the this kind of research, but also you've explored it using um, psychics and people with like intuitive abilities.
1: I uh I not so much really explored it but a lot of my early uh, work was done with ghost hunting and a lot of my friends at the time had you know, different abilities they could either perceive auras or they were mediums they could pick up on people's energy etc so a lot of my early ghost hunting I would do with people of that nature I think that the experience that you're talking about is the one where I went to a party where there were a whole bunch of Reiki healers is that where you're going I think
0: so yeah yeah yeah
1: now, that wasn't really anything to do with investigations that was just we went to a friend's house where all of the people have to be happened to be like reiki practitioners and it was at a time in my life where i was still you know the party trick type of thing like hey i got this cool story experience whatever and i was looking for information but i really wasn't ready for it and what essentially happened is i had one of the healers look at my leg and you know, we all by ourselves in a different room like hey check this out and it's like well this is really weird. He picked up on like a hole in my energy, in your aura. There was this like a void of energy where this object was in my leg, which he had never seen before. So I'm like, well, that's interesting. And I gave him the backstory and he really didn't believe any of it to be alien nature. He thought maybe I had a like a injury from a past life or something weird like that. And, you know, like, well, can you put more energy in it? Can you try to you know figure more out about it, etc.? And as he's doing that, I had a distinct feeling that something was trying to pull me like out of the chair. I was up on like a high barstool type of chair, my feet were off the ground. I literally had to hold on to the sides of the chair to stop myself from being pulled out of it. And I was literally like lunging or lurching forward to my front left and it like felt like something was trying to rip my consciousness out of my body. The healer was completely freaked out. He had to call for other people to come in to help ground me which i knew nothing about reiki healing or any energy work anything at the time so he brought all these other people in and one woman said uh, who said she could perceive auras saw something literally like pulling trying to pull my energy or my consciousness out of my body and after it was all done they they calmed me down they stopped whatever was happening my wife the girlfriend she was not, we weren't engaged yet. No, we were. Whatever. Uh, she came in and she saw the look on the healer's face and how scared he was because he didn't know what was going on. It was really the first time she had seen some serious aspect of this and realized that it wasn't just all in my head. These things were real. And I asked the woman who could see horrors after the fact. I said, Well, what do you think it means? Do you think it was something to be fearful of? Something trying to hurt me? She said, Absolutely not. Something was trying to protect you from learning about whatever is in my leg because I was not ready. And that made so much sense, especially after talking to you today, you know, because I really did approach these experiences differently. It was just the, hey, look at me, listen to my story, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Have a nice day, compared to now where I understand the psychological, the emotional, you know, spiritual impact that these experiences had on me. And I understand the severity of them. And I don't think that I was ready. Back then, it was a joke. It, was, it really was a joke. And I used it as a, hey, come to my website. Read about my experience. Now it's much more, hey, guess what? You're not alone. I've had things happen to me as well. So come to my site so we can all talk about it and share in these experiences and understand them and be there to support each other. So it's... Yeah, that was the answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, then this is a question I ask every single person who comes on the show. Have you had any experience with owls?
1: Uh, no. Nothing.
0: Okay. Have you heard of any people with experiences with owls?
1: Oh absolutely. I mean through my research I know that they you know, people have described seeing owls and it could be a screen memory for Grays, so I'm very familiar with the concept.
0: Okay. Now, my direct experience, I feel pretty. I live in a place. I live in rural Idaho, right near the Wyoming border. I live in a place with lots of owls, but um, and I've been cataloging my owl sightings, and they are they tend to be very strange. And I feel confident that what I'm seeing are real owls. Okay. Um, yeah. And I have a story. I just received an email the other day. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. The person really didn't give me permission to share it, but um, they were camping. Uh, him and a friend and they saw an owl at the very tippy top of a tree as they were laying on their back stargazing and the owl was looking at them. Um, and then shortly thereafter, a giant triangular craft like flew over them in the meadow that they were in that the, the, the craft would not have been visible if it was just a little farther off. Uh, you, do you know what I mean? So, so they had like a very clear view of this craft where if the craft had just been, uh, you know, a little bit further in one direction or the other they would not have seen it and they also described it as being totally silent which i thought was very interesting um so that's the kind of stories i've been hearing um so
1: well, i think uh, i mean uh, the movie the fourth kind which was pretty much a piece of crap but it touched i
0: agree the- i agree i couldn't i couldn't get my. i couldn't get through it
1: <laughs> i actually went to the screening with David Jacobs, uh, we, we had all gotten free passes because he were, he lives and works in the Philadelphia area. Oh, that's
0: right. You're right near Philadelphia. That's right. yeah.
1: So, you know, he and I have crossed paths many times in the past. It was quite funny to see somebody directly involved with the hypnotic elements of this, with the research, you know, in the movie theater watching this. And we both came out and said, we want our money back. That was a waste of time. But anyway, um, I know, just like as we discussed before, these beings can make themselves uh, viewed as other things that are more acceptable to people and that was one of the things that the movie touched on is them portraying themselves as owls uh, and they, almost all of the experiences in the movie I think what was it in Alaska or somewhere I forget where but
0: yeah it was in, in, in the Juneau or something yeah,
1: yeah in, in like Nome Alaska or something like that but anyway they you know they were describing these interactions with owls and they weren't really owls so you know who's to say I think that you know this is why I approach every person's story uh, the, the same way you know, I just listen. I try to, you know, make connections with what they're telling about, but I don't rule out the things that I've never heard before because you never know when, hey, you know what? I do remember hearing that ten years ago somebody else said the exact same thing and I know for sure they saw the same craft that I did. So wow, that could be another element of it. So I usually you know, I try to do my best to stay open minded with it, to be objective and you know, just approach each case with the same amount of respect uh, for the person and for what they're trying to, to share with me.
0: Um, Yeah, one of the things... So uh, you, earlier you talked about, you know, how weird these encounters are and how easy... How, like, some people are, like, oh, you know, have a knee-jerk reaction, you know, even if they're doing UFO research, just to dismiss the really weird stuff. And to me, like, on, on some level, I'm drawn to that weird stuff. I just found that those stories... On one level, it's seductive, right? It's a, it's an interesting story. The weirder it is, the more interesting it is. Um, that may be a flaw in my in my psyche that I'm drawn to those stories. But I just had, I think it was Anne Streber, uh, Whitley Streber's wife, basically said, you know, here's here's how she you know the the how she measures the reality of of when people tell her stories. She basically says if they aren't weird, they're not a real account. <laughs> um, and and I mean, just as soon as you like, how do you create a continuum like well, that's this one I trust this story's only a little bit weird, but that one's too weird. I mean, I think obviously we're all human. we have that continuum when we 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 are pushed right up against that line in this research where you 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 have to um you know be open minded or you're gonna miss you know some key component to the to the larger picture and and to me the 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 high strangeness of all this is. Um you know is to me like almost the definition of bumping into that boundary of that other realm like it if it is truly another realm and this realm is truly alien in the you know Webster's dictionary definition just meaning something unknown um I think bumping up into that boundary will produce these extremely strange experiences and people um an uh, Oh, anyway, let me just... I'm just going to jump back here. I made some notes. So your event uh, when you made the left turn and the Queen of the Damned soundtrack, that happened in 2002. Now, what you were describing is something that is showing up in the research more and more now, which is that, which is like a... How to say it? Like, we can all wrap our minds around what a missing time event right, might be, right? So, you know, like, obviously, they they zapped the person. They, uh, you know, they they... Render them in a state of amnesia, where the, none of these memories occur. They, uh, who knows what happens, taking aboard a board flying saucer, medical exams, you know, all those things that we're familiar with. They return to that exact spot. You know, they switch the zap off, and then poof, the person just comes to. They may have an odd little jarring sensation, but they um, then uh, look at the clock and they realize that you know, uh, two hours have have passed unaccounted for. That. Uh, are you familiar with a researcher named Joe Montaldo? Yes. Yeah, I, Joe Montaldo is a bit of a wild card, but I but I definitely sense that he's doing real research, and uh, and he has noted that what is happening less now is there's fewer missing time accounts and more of these odd time slip accounts. I call it
1: warp time. Pardon? I call it warp time. Exactly. But I think. Uh... You know, what's interesting is I'm actually going to be on his show, UFO Undercover, this coming Wednesday.
0: Hey, you know, if you're going to be on his show, this is interesting because I'm actually pretty good friends. You, uh, he likes this and, and, and don't, you know, he'll say some things and he'll blurt out some things that, that kind of leave me um, thunderstruck. Like, whoa, whoa, where did that come from? And, you know, just you, you know, it just, if he if he says something like that, just... You you know, just interrupt him and say, "Back up, back up." You need to, you need to define what you meant, and he'll do that, and then he'll share like a number of stories from his research that will back up just what he said, and that to me is very helpful because sometimes, woo, man, he like he'll come out with some of the strangest uh, declarations, and I don't know where that, where those, what the basis of those are.
1: I've had, I've had my own opinions of what you know the experiences could mean, and I think that the beings could be. Getting used to our makeup as a species very well. I mean, the Betty and Barney Hill 1961 account, they described being literally dragged into the craft to the point where Barney's shoes were scuffed on the top as he was pulled up the ramp. You know, fast forward to today, where you're describing these more of slip time, warp time, whatever. You're not talking about three, four hours missing time, whatever. It's like more time takes place wherever you are versus the outside world only 10, 15 seconds go by. So who's to say that their techniques with interacting with us as a species may not have uh, improved? And if you look at the differences in experiences over the years, I think it would, you know, it would support that theory. At least that's what I've seen. But, you know, who knows? I, I, and once again, I really don't rule anything out. And I look for those common elements between all of the experiences. And then I throw in my own, Yeah, well, I felt that too. or I've seen that as well. Or I personally experienced it. And that's you know what I can tell. Hopefully, in you know, in any real sense, that the person's being truthful or not.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, it looks like we should wind this down here. I know you have, a, a, you know, have to um, have an appointment coming up here soon. And we've been at it for it's getting close to two hours here, which is amazing. This time just whipped right by. Speaking of um, time. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of time. Yeah. Time. We've had our own little lost time event here, just because I'm shocked at the, how the the clock spun past. Um, Anything you want to add uh, in summation here or like, you know, like something, you know, I just, anything you want to say at the end here?
1: Well, what I I would say is, you know, this this phenomenon is a worldwide phenomenon and people of all walks of life are experiencing it. And the number one focus that I found that I feel I can be impactful is with the sharing of these experiences because so many people that I interact with on a daily basis, I know I could never approach the subject because it's just so truly alien to their world view that it would be difficult for them to even comprehend what you and I have experienced, the level uh, you know, that these encounters change your life. So talk to people, share your experiences, be open about these experiences with those you feel comfortable with, because the more that this information gets out there, the better positioned we will be as a society to truly accept it as a part of our reality. And, you know, if that means talking about that weird sighting you had when you were 12 years old, you know, wherever, that's great because you never know who might say, you know what, I saw something too. I make it a point whenever I travel for work, whenever I'm on the airplane, I always ask the flight crew, have you guys ever seen anything weird in flight? And half the time they'll look at me like I have three heads. Sometimes they'll say, you know what, I have. And they'll proceed to tell me some sighting that they had, which I will then give them my business card for my website. So you never know who will be interested and who will be willing to open up when they know that they're in good company and they don't have to worry about being ridiculed for sharing these experiences. So that's the one thing that I would say. And let me just say, you know, thank you once again for, you know, giving me another outlet to, you know, discuss these uh, experiences that you you and I seem to have both had
0: yeah and i just want to thank you it just and once again i just i'm impressed that you're young and that you're doing this and you seem very uh you know part of the reason i was drawn to that uh that video presentation you gave was that you 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 were kept a very balanced outlook you weren't um proselytize i mean there's some folks out there who like man they see this as a religion and and you see their presentations and it feels like you're sitting in a church you know you know with Listening to a heavy-handed sermon, and you did not come across that way at all. You were very balanced, open-minded, at the same time, you know, very aware that you know that these going into these deeper waters, into these stranger, the stranger side of things, is is just what happens. You're led to those deeper waters.
1: That's a very, very good perspective on it all, and I know the exact type of person you're describing i um, actually going to be speaking at a conference in northern New Jersey this weekend. It's the UFOET Congress, uh, DrUFO.org.
0: Oh, yep. I'm sure, I've met him, and I know his daughter, um, Karen.
1: Yep. Uh, I've never spoken, nor have I attended his event. However, I do know that I can easily identify the difference in presenters and their approach. There's going to be a lot of people in the contactee movement. There's a lot of people who... Exhibit the exact behavior you've just described, where they come across as a televangelist and say, "This is evidence of contact," blah blah blah, and they go on and on and on. And as soon as you subject any type of constructive criticism, they delete your comment or they tell you <laughs> the cause don't bother watching my videos. Who one of the speakers did exactly that on YouTube, deleted all of my comments where I identified some conventional. Aircraft characteristics in a video, and the comment was deleted repeatedly. And you know, I I just want to come in objectively, see what they're presenting, see what their approach is, and make a determination. I already have a really good idea of whether or not I should believe the person, but you know, I'm going to sit through the talk and, and you know see what happens. But I know the, and I thank you for your opinion of my uh, presentations as well. I think. I am a very, uh, I work in the technology industry, I know how to address a crowd, I know how to do a proper presentation, so I bring all of those skills with me, but then I also convey what happened to me, it was my experience, and I don't have to prove anything one way or the other, because it's coming from the heart, I went through this, and I found that works the best, and I have not made an opinion either way, were they here to save the planet, I don't know, are they here to blow us up, I don't know that either. All I know is what I went through and that's what I talk about. And I really don't make an opinion either way of whether they're coming here to help or harm us. I just know what I went through.
0: Yes, yes, and you do do you do that beautifully. Hey, I just this has been this has been great. Um I look forward to to. Uh, I suspect someday we'll cross paths and um I look forward to meeting you and perhaps someday in the future we can follow this up with a follow up interview.
1: Yeah, that'll work for me.
0: Great. Um I'll let you go and uh, I'll continue to follow your uh, website and then I will make sure to let you know when this gets posted online. It'll be a couple of days.
1: Very good. And once again, I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Okay, thanks. Talk to you soon. Yep, take care. Bye now.